May I speak in the name of the living God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Some words from our first reading. You are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. I begin with a little uh, parable of our times. A while ago, an Anglican Franciscan friar was travelling on the London Underground, and he was wearing sandals, otherwise barefoot, with his brown, long brown habit, kept together by a white girdle with three knots in it, symbolising his vows of poverty, chastity and obedience. And given what some people wear in London these days, such garb doesn't seem all that exotic, really. And he was standing on the tube train when a very sharply dressed businessman got on and stood beside him. And he looked our follower of Francis of Assisi and of Jesus Christ up and down and then asked him, and what are you supposed to be? And the Franciscan thought for a moment and said, polite, (laughs) polite. Now, I wish I could think as quickly as that, really. Um, But it isn't the clever answer that's intriguing um, to me. It's the sense that someone who has visibly, visibly given themselves to a life of poverty and prayer doesn't seem to fit in the modern world. What are you supposed to be? And that well-dressed man on the London Tube was confronted by an image of a very different way of life. He was, if you like, disturbed by a symbol. And that's what a religious habit is meant to be. It's symbolic of a particular way of Christian living. It's a way of living without money of one's own, without sex, and under obedience. There could hardly be anything more unfashionable. No money, no sex, and doing what you're told. Is that the way to life? You wouldn't have thought so. No advertising agency proclaims it, except it's true. And the power of a symbol or a sign is profound. That Franciscan friar was clothed in the Christian tradition in which he lived. He proclaimed the gospel not by anything he said that day. It was all down to what he wore. And what are you supposed to be, I ask those who are to be baptized and confirmed? Well, actually, I don't ask them quite as boldly as that. Uh, This is a liturgy of the Church of England. We go in for sort of gentler questions. They... They could be asked that this morning, though. All of you could. What are you supposed to be? You might not be wearing a monk's or nun's or friar's habit, but today you all come to show publicly your loyalty to Jesus Christ. There are questions for you to answer politely. Dear candidates, dear candidates, you are given the answers. 
because Jesus Christ has himself already given himself to you. He is the answer to every question that you will be asked. You are going to say you turn to Christ and submit to Christ. You come to Christ as the way, the truth and the life. You are giving your lives to Christ. But of course you've already done that, otherwise you would not be here. But now you will say publicly before God and this congregation that you have given yourselves to Jesus Christ. And what are you supposed to be? Human beings made and remade by God's grace, filled with the Holy Spirit, claimed and called by Jesus Christ and his love. That might have been an even better answer on the London Underground, who knows. But the man with the question already saw someone who was a follower of the way of the cross, and it disturbed him. Because Jesus Christ draws our love and loyalty, as he does of those being baptized and confirmed here. But Jesus Christ disturbs our complacency as well. He challenges us, and he still does in this world of ours. And if the challenge of the gospel isn't seen in the world, then we are not faithful to it. And of course we're using powerful symbols in this service. The waters of baptism are all about dying to an old life and rising to a new life in Christ. And total immersion as practiced here and in so many other places is highly visible. Those being baptized have come prepared to be plunged into the deep waters of Christ's death to rise with him to new life in triumph. And when the bishop's hands are laid on those being confirmed, we're all reminded visibly, visibly by those hands, not through any virtue of mine, there's very little of that, but we're reminded of the way the apostles laid hands on the newly converted to Christ. It's a confirmation of the Holy Spirit alive and at work in his world. Think in Acts 8 of Peter and John laying hands on those converts of Samaria. Or of Paul in Acts 19 laying hands on the disciples at Ephesus. This is apostolic ministry we see being exercised here at Holy Trinity this morning. The apostles, they were sent out with those words of Jesus ringing in their ears. Go therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's what's happening here. We witness the change which Jesus Christ makes in human lives. This isn't a membership ritual. It's about the light of Christ overcoming the darkness of the world. It's about Jesus Christ claiming people for his own, calling them and equipping them for his service. Now our first reading today from which I took my text came from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. And Thessalonica was the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia. It stood on that great road across northern Greece which linked Rome with the Eastern Empire. And Paul had visited this great centre of trade and commerce and one of the very first Christian communities ever to exist was founded in Thessalonica. One of the very first ever 
Christian congregations. Nothing like the size of this congregation this morning. Would have met in a house. Couldn't have been more than 30 people. And Paul's letter is full of remembrances, fond remembrances of his visit. And he gives thanks for the faith of these first Christians who he's nurtured. And this letter, written probably while Paul was staying at Corinth, is reckoned to be the very earliest writing in the New Testament. What you heard today, those words, were the very earliest writing in the New Testament. The Gospels have not yet been written. Much of what we read in the Acts of the Apostles hasn't even happened. These new believers in Jesus Christ are finding their way in the faith without the guidance you and I can rely upon. They've got no New Testament. Imagine they've just got a few stories of Jesus that they've heard and the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They had to rely on the Spirit to guide them. And this letter to the Thessalonians was written probably at the latest by A.D. 50. No more than 16 or 17 years at the very most after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ and the coming of the Spirit. These are early words. And it seems as if these believers in Thessalonica were attempting to calculate when the world would come to an end and Christ would come again. And what does St. Paul warn them about? He says that the day of the Lord, it'll come by surprise, like a thief in the night. They're warned off assessing the scale of calamities and wars. They mustn't get submerged in the darkness of the world. And nor must we. For in Jesus Christ we are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. And it's tempting in any age, including our own, to think the world in which we live gets more and more chaotic, is increasingly unstable. You cannot switch on the news without recognizing the instability, the war, the turmoil in our world. It's easy to be drawn into calculating the world's darkness and sin, believing, as I'm sure he will one day, God will come in Jesus Christ again to inaugurate his kingdom. But the dangers are ever-present. The dangers are ever-present. And in the midst of it, in the midst of it all, Jesus Christ has already, already brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We don't need to calculate the future. In Christ we have the light. In Christ we have the light. And it's astonishing how often we take light for granted. All of us. We take light for granted. Years and years ago, when I worked um, for Robert Runcie when he was Archbishop of Canterbury, one of my colleagues was Terry Waite, except he was hardly with us for almost all my time there. He was in captivity as a hostage in Beirut for almost five years. 
It's so long ago now you have to be of a certain age to know the story, though of course Terry, as the older ones among you will know, was very famous at the time. And during much of his solitary confinement, he was kept often in darkness, frequently blindfolded. And to be deprived of company is one thing. To be deprived of light, even more terrible. And for a long while he was deprived of sound as well, but eventually... Somehow, through, I suppose, the compassion of a guard, he was given a small radio. And he listened to the World Service, the BBC World Service in his dungeon. Praise God for the BBC's World Service. And he realized he was not forgotten. He even heard prayers being said for him on a broadcast service. There was light in his darkness. Can you imagine it? In solitary confinement, in darkness, and hearing people you did not know pray for you over the airwaves. And he kept asking for some reading material in English. They kept giving him books that he couldn't read. And one of the first books in English he was given turned out, they didn't know it, to be a manual of breastfeeding. And he read it voraciously from cover to cover and is now an unlikely expert on the subject. And I went to stay with him at RAF Lynham on his release and he said to me then two things I've never, ever forgotten. He said he was struck by the intensity of the light. It seemed dazzling to someone who'd spent so much time in darkness. And I looked out of the window, and it was a typically cloudy November day, just like this one. And knowing I was going to say this, I got up this morning and looked out and gave thanks for the dazzling light of this November day. For actually, that light out there is dazzling just as Jesus Christ is dazzling in the marvellous light he brings into our lives. And I realised that day, also many years ago, I took light for granted. And Terry, who'd known consistent darkness, gloried in it. And he understood why we speak of Jesus Christ as the light who banishes darkness. And in recent years, as some of you will know, Terry's worked tirelessly for Emmaus UK, the charity working with the homeless, those needing a new chance in life, and those who know darkness, whether metaphorical or literal, and come to Jesus Christ, want others to experience the light of God's justice and mercy. So how do people see the light of Christ in you, in me? Do we dazzle? And something else Terry said all those years ago has remained in my mind. He spoke about plumbing the depths of his memory. And he began, because he had no scriptures, to remember passages from the Bible. And he pieced together quite a lot 
of the services from the Book of Common Prayer. It's almost converted me to being a member of the Prayer Book Society, this, because you can remember the liturgy that is repeated time and time again. And he kept repeating the words of Psalm 23, which, of course, many of us would know. And I thought of him in that dungeon often, saying the words of Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thy loving kindness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The house of the Lord. For him, the house of the Lord, was that dark cellar. That was how his identity was sustained. He realized he'd not come from nowhere. He inhabited Jesus Christ. He was clothed in him, just as much as that Franciscan I mentioned at the beginning of this address. And the parable of the talents, which we heard as the gospel this morning, challenges every one of us to use the gifts God has given us as fully as possible. We are not to bury our talent in the ground. And there is one talent, one talent which most of us are given as human beings through God's grace and gift, which we can use to his honor and glory. It is the gift of memory, the gift of memory. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, gave a command which we fulfill today around the table of the Lord. Do this in remembrance of me. It's the mark of living the Christian life. Do this in remembrance of me, he said at the supper before his death. And this morning we baptize, we confirm, we celebrate Holy Communion with our Lord and Savior, and we do as he asks. We have gone into all the world to baptize. We do as he asks and clothe ourselves in him. We receive his grace. We remember Jesus Christ. And who are you supposed to be? Who am I? All of us. Followers of Jesus who live in his light. Followers of Jesus who remember to do as he commands. To eat this bread and drink this cup until the day of the Lord comes. And to love one another as he has loved us. Amen.